1: This is it. This is the week where the big institutional money managers anoint their best stocks and start buying them hand over fist. Hence today's strength. The Dow gained 72 points. The S&P advanced 0.13%. NASDAQ climbed 0.12%. See, these institutions, they need to build larger and larger positions in the biggest winners of late so they don't look like they're morons when they have to show their clients what they own at the end of the year. So how does a stock qualify to become anointed? Well, first, they need to be having a great year. Second, there has to be a long-term thesis justified that would otherwise look like nosebleed valuations. Third, you need a belief that nothing can go wrong for the company between now and your end. And that's how you get an anointed winter. Winter. Now, I have to tell you, I'm about to give you some very subjective names, okay? These are my anointed stocks from what I can see. Let me give you my top 15 stocks that I think will be bought buy, 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 going into the end of the year. And I'm going to do them alphabetically so as not to slight anyone. Remember, these aren't necessarily these stocks I would pick myself. They're the ones that I see money managers buying aggressively for the next five-odd weeks because I can tell this. This is something I intuit. I'm a stock whisperer. I know what's going on here. I see the buys. And first, there's Alibaba, the Chinese e-commerce titan. We know this is the world's largest retailer. It's going like crazy and it just had a terrific singles day. The made-up holiday that the Chinese communists came up with to encourage shopping. Alibaba stock may be up 114% for the year. That's right, 114%. But I think portfolio managers will be happy to pay even more for the top Chinese stock in a year where China again became investable. Second anointed name, one that you should be familiar with, Adobe. Investors desperately want cloud exposure. It's very clear that Adobe has become a major cloud play with an amazing sales numbers, a lot of room to run. While the stock's already up 76% for 2017, every time it comes in, buyers clamor for more. Last time the company reported it, it shocked people with its growth. Adobe's new software, based on artificial intelligence, is a beauty to behold, as we saw when we were at their San Francisco office a couple weeks ago. Third is Align technology. Yeah, Align, the maker of Invisalign braces that millennials use to look their selfie best. The stock is right in the sweet spot for investors who want to play the theme that younger people simply don't want to leave their houses unless they look great. There's a ready sales force for Invisalign. That's the hundreds of thousands of dentists who want to sell new product now that cavities are in decline, well at least secular decline, thanks to improved hygiene. No wonder Align stock is up 165%. Even up here, it remains cheap for the momentum chasers. Fourth, the obvious Amazon, the original A and FANG. When it comes to Amazon, the concept of valuation never meant much to begin with. So it's easy to justify buying up here. The thesis, Amazon's really two companies, a retailer and a web service provider. If you broke them up, the sum of the parts could be worth a trillion dollars. Given that Amazon currently has a market cap of $541 billion, well, that gives portfolio managers plenty of leeway to buy more and more and more and more. Fifth is Apple. When the world's largest company has a stock that sells at merely 14 times earnings, 14 times! Then you keep buying on the way up, and it won't stop being dirt cheap until it trades, I don't know, how about 18, how about 19 times? Meanwhile, Apple's one-two punch of the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 10 give money managers a justification to keep buying, even with shares up 46% of the year. Hey, 46, 59, 63, what's the diff? Six is one I don't talk about enough. Arista Networks. Yes, this is networking equipment play that's integral to the cloud, making this thing about as hot as it gets. Arista connects companies to data centers. It's a rival of Cisco. And with the stock up 149 percent, I'm calling it unstoppable. This is exactly the kind of name that hedge funds like to anoint. Seventh, hey, how about a traditional? Boeing. The aerospace business is in secular growth mode. Demand for planes is off the charts. And as long as the worldwide middle class continues to grow and want to travel, Boeing's backlog will remain very long. These are halcyon times for the aircraft makers. Boeing's run up 70 percent for the year. This big cap stop. Yet it is easy to justify buying it much higher. And that's how you get anointed. Coming in eighth is one that, again, I told you subjective list. It's the death spot. It's Home Depot. I know the stock's only up 27%, but after that last quarter, I bet it can go much higher, especially now that it's taken out its old high. Watch it fly if Lowe's reports a good quarter tomorrow morning. Ninth anointed stock for the end of the year, one that should be, you know, commonplace to those who watch the show, Lamb Research. This semiconductor equipment maker just keeps putting up fabulous numbers, yet it hasn't been rewarded nearly as much as it deserves, given that it sells for just 14 times earnings. That's nuts, people. How could the stock be that cheap? Because investors are so used to the semiconductor cycle blowing up about now. But if there's a huge secular pickup in demand, then people will pay more for LAM stock. And I think that's what we're seeing. Remember what Applied Materials told us Friday? LAM is up 103 percent. It can go much more. And we got 3M, again, a traditional. This stock may be the oldest blue chip for 2017, up nearly 30%. But 3M has a lot of greenfield space to run here. Company put on such good numbers last quarter that I think big-time portfolio managers will be embarrassed not to own the stock of 3M. Now, you can't have an anointed list without including my dog, right? I mean, you know you got to include NVIDIA. (laughs) NVIDIA, come here, please. The semiconductor company with the best offerings for the data center, for gaming, and for autonomous driving. And those are the three hottest areas in tech. What an amazing triple play. And given that many of the institutions buying the stock simply aren't sensitive to near-term valuations, any price can be paid. sky's the limit. Where this one stops, nobody knows. Number 12 is another company you should be quite familiar with, PayPal. It, it, it is so on fire, I don't even know if it can be kept below 100 by year end. It's currently at 76. That's up 92% for the year, which only makes it more attractive for these growth hounds. Payment processing is the hottest segment in finance. And PayPal's outpaced everyone in the segment except our next anointed name, Square. S <laughs> Q SQ which is on my to-do list, that's for certain. Yep, Square, I thought this payment technology play might be running out of gas after soaring 232% year-to-date. Hey, you know, hey, reasonable, right, that it still might be low on the tag. Now I'm thinking it might have more room to run thanks to the Bitcoin initiative. People are desperate to find a Bitcoin play. I was looking at my Twitter feed today. Jim, do you have any new Bitcoin plays? Well, Square by default is now that play. I thought it would falter when fabulous CFO Sarah Fryer, right here, threw cold water on the idea that Square could be considered a way to invest in Bitcoin. But then CEO Jack Dorsey comes out, yes, of Twitter fame, and says, it's a real thesis. Hey, that's all it takes to get something going again. 14... I'm giving it to VMware, virtualization solutions for the data center and the cloud. Holy cow, three fabulous buzzwords. Stocks up 57%, but it, like Adobe, is regarded as a pure play on cloud adoption. And we know that's one of the hottest themes out there. Finally, number 15, Walmart. I know it's downgraded today by Goldman Sachs, but the truth is, that Walmart's the only company that can challenge Amazon over the long term. That means it's going to be a must-own, which isn't bad for a stock that's up 41%, but still trades at just 22 times earnings. Hey, come on. If it's anointed, it gets a 25 multiple. Goldman says the stock's gotten ahead of itself. Oh, perfect. All these stocks are technically ahead of themselves, but that's precisely what gets them anointed. Money managers want proven winners here. The bottom line Oh, God, I love these. In a perfect world, I'd like to wait for a pullback for any of these to tell you to buy any one of these red-hot names. But at this time of year, it's very unlikely you'll get a pullback in the anointed winners, as hedge fund buyers can't get enough of them. But if by some fluke, by some chance, if any of these names dips, well, you should jump all over them. Oh, I feel it. I feel it. Feel... Allen Florida, Allen. Jimmy, a
0: good Eagles to the Super
1: Bowl. Booyah to you. We do it one game at a time. We embrace the goodness, but we don't get ahead of ourselves. Because we, you pot, we underpromise. we overdeliver. How can I help?
0: Well, Jim, a while back, you gave us home gamers a lesson in when all the analysts say something about a stock... And then the stock acts oppositely, it means something. And I asked you this in regards to Teva Pharmaceuticals, who next month they come out with a generic version for Viagra. They just hired a new CEO who's a bit of a turnaround specialist. But the stock's been hammered. And as of late, the analysts have been brutal on it, calling for a 30% drop. But in light of this... The stock is going up very sharply lately. What should I make of this? Well, the stock
1: has just had a horrendous run down. Now, Allergan owns 10%. Allergan's, uh, you know, scaling out of the position. I don't want to own it until Allergan's done it. All right, here we go. The anointed. Well, look at this. I think you should start your company with the letter A. Do you think that that's the pattern? No. The big investors are anointing stocks this week. They always do this this week, every year since I've been in the business. And you have my blessing to do the same. Maybe do it deep in the money calls. The Nigerians know how to do that. On Man Money tonight, I'm focusing on the two of the hottest names in this market who have the power to defeat almost anyone, Amazon and Netflix. Then two analysts enter. Only one leaves. Don't miss an epic smackdown over the fate of one of the top retail stocks in this market. And the cybersecurity stocks have felt anything but secure over the past year. But with much of the group rebounding, including Palo Alto tonight, is it time to consider a play in the space? Do not miss my exclusive with CyberArk! So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweaks. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Every now and then you'll watch an interview that rocks your whole investment world. And that's how I felt last week when I saw David Faber's interview with John Malone. He's the chairman of Liberty Media. Rarely do you come across an executive who's so comfortable in his own skin that he can speak his mind about so many different companies. Most executives insist they can only speak about their own businesses. They don't want to step on anyone else's toes. Malone is not one of those executives. Last week, he talked about how Amazon is the death star that can take on anyone. Malone told David, and I quote, if you're in the B2C business, if you're selling anything to any consumer anywhere on the planet, right, you got to believe that Amazon is going to uh, have, have a look at that opportunity to commoditize you to use scale to sever the public. He's reducing the cost to the consumer and providing great convenience. Wow. That's one of the reasons why the big drug stores are so vulnerable. We all know they're inconvenient with a counter filled with clerks, not pharmacists. The pharmacists always seem to be doing something in the back. They never come out anymore. Who needs them and their high prices? If Amazon gets into the pharmacy business, lets your doctor enter your prescriptions into the cloud, and then delivers them right to your door with no lines and lower costs, who wouldn't love that? You're talking about the death knell of CVS and Walgreens. Because they're already selling goods that are too expensive up front, namely food, which Amazon now has under control via Whole Foods. Hey, by the way, watch Whole Foods have a big Thanksgiving with organic turkeys from Hain Celestial. There were rumors that Nestle's might bid for them. I don't care. Keep owning Hain. Anyway, equally important, at least from a stock picking perspective, Malone talked about Netflix, and this is where it really got interesting. Fueled by money from the stock market and payments by the major studios, CEO Reed Hastings decided to build a platform that traveled, that was never just domestic, like HBO, which can only syndicate to foreign distributors. That means they can't control pricing like Netflix, which has the artificial intelligence they need to know how to satisfy consumers the world over. It's a building edge that puts Netflix on the path to world domination. Not only that, but because Hastings is willing to cut deals with directors where he gives them far more freedom. That's the only, you know, than the old school studios can do. Netflix will beat anyone trying to scale. They've got the directors willing to work for them. And that's why Malone said, and I quote, it's way too late, end quote, for the cable companies to band together to stop Netflix. Wow. Which brings me to valuation. Many marvel that Netflix could have a market capitalization of eighty-three billion dollars. Much higher than CBS at 22 billion. 20, 20 century Fox is at 57 billion. They're much bigger than that. Now while I could argue that both of these two companies are undervalued, and it's reasonable to believe that either one could catch a takeover bid in this environment. We know Fox is talking, right? I think the comparison makes no sense at all. If anything, $83 billion seems too small a valuation for Netflix. Do we really think an international content distribution company with local uh, artificial intelligence and the ability to make its own AI-driven programming should only be worth $83 billion? I could make a compelling case that this worldwide operator ought to be worth a lot more. I think Malone is saying in his own roundabout way that Amazon and Netflix have the ability to defeat anyone they come up against thanks to scale and an informational edge, courtesy of artificial intelligence. Amazon and Netflix are like big brother. They know you better than you know yourself. How can anyone beat that? After watching an interview with Malone, I've got to tell you, that if anything, I think Netflix stock is cheap at these levels, and I think it can go higher, maybe much higher. John in North Carolina, John.
0: Jim, happy Thanksgiving to you and your hardworking team. And thank you for taking a call from me for the eighth time.
1: Oh, my God. That's terrific. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, John.
0: Well, thank you. Jim, on Friday, Tesla announced that it would produce an electric heavy-duty semi truck, sending shares of Cummins down 4 to 5%. Now, we all know Cummins produces diesel engines for a lot of vehicles, a lot more than just large semis. And they're also heavy into filtration and power generation equipment. The stock gained
1: back a half a point today. But where does it go from here? You know, it's funny. Uh, Stephanie Lincoln, I were all at halftime with Scott Wapner today. We both thought it was absurd that Elon Musk, with, who can't produce much of anything beyond what he's currently producing, would be able to bring down this stock so easily. But he did. I think Cummins is a buy, so the Stephanie, I think you use the weakness to get some Cummins in. Alright, Amazon and Netflix have the ability to defeat anyone they come up against thanks to scale and an informational edge, courtesy of artificial intelligence. That David Faber interview was something changed a lot of people's minds about those two stocks. Much more man money ahead. In a world where brick and mortar retail has seen the business model threaten. How are discount retailers like Ollie's Bargain Outlet doing? Well, I'm eyeing the bull and the bear case for the stock. Then CyberRock up about 15% over the past three months as CyberRock attacks remain a top concern. Could its rebound signal good things to come? Hey, after Palo Alto tonight, maybe so. I'm investigating the move. And last week, a single painting by Leonardo da Vinci sold for over $450 million dollars. But there may be an easier way to invest in the work of Da Vinci, and it's got nothing to do with art, nor does it have to do with Walter Isaacson's excellent book. I'll reveal it, so stick with Kramer. What do you do when some Wall Street analyst comes out and tells you to sell? Sell, sell, sell one of the hottest stocks in this market. Do you panic and head for the hills? Or do you try to put the growling of the bears in context to see if they really have a point? And that's the question we need to answer when it comes to Ali's Bargain Store. Ollie's Bargain Outlet, O-L-L-I, for you home gamers. The off-price retail chain with more than 200 warehouses packed full of brand name merchandise being sold at huge discounts. Even though now is the winner of retail's discontent, Ollie's has been a truly incredible performer. Stocks up nearly 63% year to date. One of the best performers in retail. And the darn thing has doubled since I started recommending it about 19 months ago. In short, Ollie's both the store and the stock, and Fuego. And it makes sense. After all, this company is an off-price retailer, and that's the best-acting portion. But think about Burlington. Think about Ross stores. And it means when other merchandisers are, or merchants are struggling, Ollie's comes in and buys their excess inventory for very low prices. Merchants need to get rid of their old inventory before they can finance, you know, get financing to bring in their new product. Then Ollie's can turn around a markup that merchandise, slightly not big, and still end up charging you far, far less than you ever pay for the same branded names in a typical department store. Get this, typically about 70% less. In a way, these off-price retailers are like scavengers. When all sorts of big national chains are shutting down locations left and right, like they're doing right now, they generate a ton of close-out inventory, Always feasts on that stuff. That's where they make their money. That's a bread and butter. Very often, the rest of retail's pain is their gain. It's not just apparel. Right now, they're getting lots of terrific toy merchandise, courtesy of the Toys R Us bankruptcy. Remember we heard about how bad it was for Hasbro and how bad it was for Mattel? Well, it was good for these guys. Ah. That's why when I it was so curious when an analyst at Citigroup came out last week and initiated coverage on Ollie's with a sell, sell, sell giving the $46 stock a $39. Dollar price target. That took cones. At the same time, many other analysts still have big, uh, buy ratings on Ollie's. And earlier this month, Wells Fargo published a much more positive note, although they only gave the stock a market perform rating. That's Wall Street Speak for Neutral. So, who should you believe? The bears at City. For the bulls nearly everywhere else, especially JP Morgan, Matthew Boss. You know, we like him. I was on with him during the halftime report with Scott. Let's break it down, starting with the bulls, because the bullish thesis has been the dominant theme here ever since Ollie's came public. And that was back in the summer of 2015, where we identified it as a model that we liked. As soon as the post IPO quiet period ended, stocks started getting a lot of love from the analyst community and from us here on Mad Money. First, we love the off-price model. These days, real bargains are one of the few things that will actually get consumers to leave the house. And thanks to its ability to buy up, close out merchandise for a song, Ollie's always has terrific bargains. The stores give you that treasure hunt experience. Remember Jim Senegal told us that's what people want at Costco? This place has it in spades. As Wells Fargo put it in their market perform initiation earlier this month, Quote, we view Ali's model as highly differentiated in an ultra competitive retail landscape. Ali is one of the few remaining chains in the closeout business and stores offer a compelling value proposition, in our view, with prices dramatically below peers, typically 70 percent less than department stores and 20 to 50 percent below mass merchants, end quote. Wow. Second, Ali's is still very much a cool story meaning the company has a relatively small footprint, and they're putting up new stores all over America. When the company came public a little more than two years ago, they had less than 200 locations, and management planned to grow that number to 950. Fast forward today, they have more than 240 stores, with a distribution network that's large enough to support up to uh, to 400 stores. So a lot of room here. Third, the company's got a powerful loyalty program, Ali's Army. It's an actual army. And that keeps customers coming back for more. They get good discounts. And look, for those of us in the bullish camp, well, let's just say we've nailed it. The numbers here remain truly phenomenal. In the most recent quarter, Ali saw its sales increase by 20.5%. That's an acceleration over both the previous quarter and the previous year. Meanwhile, the company's earnings grew at a 28.6% clip, up from 25% the previous uh, quarter, although down from 34% last year. Still, those are some best numbers in show for retail. Ollie's has consistently beaten Wall Street's expectations, too. The reason? Because while things might be very tough for retail in general, that's exactly the kind of environment where Ollie's thrives, because it means they can get more merchandise from stores that are shutting down. Oh, and yes, Ollie's stock is cheaper than that of Amazon, one of our anointed stocks at the top of the show. So what about this new bear thesis that Citi unveiled last week? The analysts here have a number of concerns. For starters, City worries that the expectations have gotten too high. Mm. While they expect that Hollies will deliver stronger than expected same-store sales, when the company reports in less than three weeks, they fear that it might be a small beat. Given that investors have gotten used to big beats, well, this is the kind of thing that might prompt a sell-off. Second, City's concerned about competition. They see the dollar stores as a potential threat, you know, they report this week, not to mention regular mass-market retailers that are under pressure to cut prices. And, of course, Citi's worried about Amazon. Who isn't? Fighting that more and more people will choose to buy this stuff online, simply get it delivered. That said, even these bearish analysts concede that many of Ollie's products are discounted, discounted brand merchandise. merchandise they can't be sold online because of restrictions from the manufacturers. The rest of their objections feel like hypotheticals. City fears that if Ollie's loses its touch when it comes to picking out merchandise, the company will suffer. They're worried that margins could come under pressure in the first half of 2020 when the company plans to open a new distribution center. Remember, that I told you they have one that can handle 400 stores. However, if they need that distribution center, you know what? That could be a high-quality problem. Finally, City's concerned that if Ollie's keeps opening stores at such a rapid pace, they're on track for 33 to 35 new locations for 2017, the profitability of these new stores might begin to suffer. In other words, these analysts think that ollies might be closer to saturating the market than management thinks, in which case their stores could start to cannibalize each other in the not-too-distant future. That said, Citi's sell recommendation has so many caveats that I have trouble considering it all that bearish. They like that Ollie's is a high-margin business. They like the treasure on experience at the stores. They like the value proposition. They like the growth opportunities from opening new locations. And they like the store-level economics. Put it all together, and Citi's basically saying that the stock has run very far, very fast. And while the business sure looks good right now, there are all sorts of ways that things could potentially go wrong. But so far, everything's gone smoothly. And if you have to put that many caveats into a sell recommendation— Maybe you shouldn't be telling people to sell the stock in the first place. My view, look, Ollie's is a longtime Kramer fave. I think it's a great company. Up here at 46 and change, the stock is far from cheap, though. At these levels, Ollie's sells for 32 times next year's estimates, and that makes it far more expensive than your typical retailer. Then again, Ollie's has a 19% long-term growth rate with lots of runway to open new stores all over the country. And some money managers would be willing to pay up to 38 times for that kind of growth. Here's the bottom line. When you're dealing with red hot stocks, you always need to be cognizant of what the bears are saying. With Ollie's, I think the bulls are dead right about the fundamentals. But the bears have a point when they say that the stock has run a great deal. So let me give you a synthesis. Let's hope Ollie's stock comes down, perhaps after it reports in less than three weeks, because this is exactly the kind of name that's worth buying into a pullback because the long-term story remains very much intact. Let's go to Elaine in New York. Elaine! Hi, Kramer. Hi. I'm a fan of your show
0: and of the companion textbook, Get Rich Carefully.
1: Well, thank you so much.
0: My question is regarding Johnson & Johnson, J&J. Yes. I noticed about 10 days ago it had finally come off of its all-time highs, like it went down to 142. Mm -hmm. Then it was down, I didn't see closing bell, but it was down at around 138. And I'm wondering, is this possibly due to the usual rotations that you talk about, thanks to hedge funds and um, ETFs and the like? Or is there something fundamentally amiss with a company like that hip replacement? No,
1: you know, thank you, Elaine, for saying those kind words about my book and the show. And it is pure rotation. Especially because I know we look. We had Alex Gorsky on last uh, two weeks ago. I have never felt this confident about what J and up to. I think it's a plain and simple a buy. All right when analysts go head to head, you win. Now I am siding with the Bulls on Ollie's, but you know what? Maybe just on weakness. Much more mad money had cybersecurity spending is expected to exceed one trillion dollars over the next five years. We see that Palo Alto just reported a huge quarter. What does CyberArk have to say? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then forget last week's 450 million dollar purchase of a Da Vinci painting. I'm solving the real Da Vinci code right here, right now. You're not going to want to miss it. Know your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of the Night Round. So stick with Kramer. once-red-hot cybersecurity space has been a real roller coaster this year. Stocks have been all over the place. Recently, though, they've been on a rebound. So could this be part of a sustained move of a group you like so much? Consider the case of CyberArk software. That's CYBR. It's the Israeli cybersecurity company that specializes in protecting what are known as privileged or administrator accounts. One of the top targets for hackers because they represent the keys to the digital kingdom. You open these, you can open everything. Back in July, CyberArk pre-announced some much weaker than expected second quarter numbers, causing the stock to lose 16% of its value in a single session. It was brutal. But lately, the things have been turned around. When CyberArk reported again earlier this month, it delivered a $0.06 cent earnings beat off of a $0.19 cent basis, higher than expected revenue went nearly 18% year over year. Companies getting a lot of business from Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, which were weaker last time. Even better, the company gave strong guidance for both the next quarter and the full year. That's why the stock jumped uh, back just 11% on, on the news. So, you have to ask, kid. It keep climbing. Let's check in with Udi Makati, the founder, chairman, and CEO of CyberArk Software. Get a better sense of how this company doing and where it's headed. Mr. McConaughey, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you. I'm I'm back. Thank you. So it looks like when you pre-announced, you gave very specific uh, concerns about Europe. And then they all got solved because Europe was what Europe was stronger than the U.S.
0: Yeah, we were pleased with uh, with Q3. We still believe it's a long term process of globalizing the sales force. So we're still working progress there, but we were pleased.
1: Now, I saw some customers that you talked about that makes so much sense. You know, we had that want to cry situation and really affect a lot of national health Systems, So you've got a very big hospital chain. Now, that's got to be because people just said, listen, we can't have this happen to
0: us. Oh, absolutely. They view themselves as a target. And right. uh, this, is a, this was an example of a hospital that made Cyborg and Privilege Account Security a critical layer that they want in place across all systems. So they actually jumped on board with all layers of security. No, well, how do you get that account? Does that account see something in the papers and
1: say, wow, we could be in trouble? Or are you calling all these accounts and saying, listen, they're targeting
0: hospitals? We're very much a proactive security uh, okay. uh, layer. So we, we, we actually keep in touch with the industry, we're very close to chief security officers and we have a good reference customer base with the customers that we have in place. So we're 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 there uh, when the call is ready, we also prospect and, and uh, control right. our destiny.
1: Now, this transportation company, 300,000 de- 300, deaths, I mean, now here's some, this must be a marquee account.
0: Yeah, this is a major, uh, I would say, Fortune 500 account, uh, 300,000 uh, endpoints that was severely hit by ransomware. And so Cyborg here uh, is an example of us preventing the next one right. with uh, proactive security there on the endpoint.
1: All right, so what's the new way to pay ransomware? Is it still Bitcoin now that it's gone up so much?
0: It's very much still uh, Bitcoin. It is Bitcoin. Yeah.
1: Now, because, you know, we had Square on last week, and uh, Sarah fires the treasurer, the CFO, and she was saying, well, listen, there are a lot of accounts that want to trade this, uh, but don't make it that that's our thing. But then Jack Dorsey, the CEO, said, listen, this is what they want. Now, I mean, someone is making a lot of money on this. Now, obviously, there's nothing you can do. You're trying to stop it. But they're still dialing 1-800-whatever and paying the Bitcoin.
0: We're, we're trying to prevent it. We right. work with enterprises who are mostly trying to combat it. But right. we do see, especially small organizations, often successful Come for the ransom wow. and, and pay off.
1: And now, uh, Con- you bought Conjure. Uh, now this helps with cloud.
0: Yeah, it was a strategic acquisition in, in May, really expanding us to those applications that are moved off to the cloud. The, the modern ways to develop called DevOps. It's a it's a unique evolution revolution in IT that we're jumping on.
1: Well, why it, was
0: the cloud relatively uncovered? The cloud was relatively uncovered, really? and, and especially DevOps is a place where the developers are coding and it's moving fast because it supports right. the top line over the organization, and security is running behind so here we are allowing them to secure as they code
1: Wow so, people have been hacking that
0: it's a, it's a It's a new frontier for hackers, but when you go into cloud, you can get everything
1: now you got a major pharmaceutical chain. I have always felt that they could be vulnerable, but they weren't spending enough. If you get
0: one, will you get all? We totally agree. They weren't spending right. enough. It was a sector that was behind. And they do talk to each other, especially on security. And we're finding that. So when we have, we have several uh, uh, marquee accounts there, I would say, uh, uh, you know, many around the world. Right. Uh, and when they go strategic with Cybrox, they talk to each other and can help us in the long term.
1: You know, it sounds like we started with bank went to retail, but now these verticals are not easily thought of as being things that would be hacked, but they 're getting hacked
0: they're all, they all perceive themselves as a target these days it wasn 't the case. it used to be just the banks, but the retail government is is spending on uh, on, on security and manufacturing is also on, on board
1: How much is state sponsored How much is bad guys?
0: We don't attribute because it's really flaky. Sometimes right. they could use code that was uh, leaked from uh, NSA and they use it as an attack point. But it's I all mean, of the above.
1: You know, can we, like, when we heard that North Korea was designated, I, I figured that they must be out there trying to get money this way.
0: There have been cases. I mean, there are some that associate them with the Bangladesh bank attack. Yes. They've been associated with DDoS uh, attacks. There are geopolitical tensions, increased cybercrime. Wow. Can you stop them? We can't stop them, but we can help with cyber hygiene to make sure that uh, you can catch a cold, but it won't bring you down. Well, that's, that's, a, that's the best
1: way to look at it. That's Judy McLeod, founder, chairman, and CEO of CyberArk. We've seen the whole arc of who they're going for. Now it's everybody. Man money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That is time for the lightning round. Let's start with David in Florida. David. Booyah from sunny St. Petersburg, Florida, Jim. It's always sunny. That's why I give you the paper out for rains. What's going on? <laughs> hey, I, I bought uh, Macquarie Infrastructure Corp ticker MIC right. about a year ago for $70. It's paying out a great dividend, but the the price has been going down the drain. I think the last that that dividend's a red flag. we got to do more work on that. that does, you, know, you know, And they're doing the same stuff that uh, yeah, they do a lot of stuff that is kind of like what is doing. And we know that's uh, not so good. Let's go to Stephen in Illinois. Stephen. Oh, big booyah, Mr. Kramer. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Good, good. Hey, I am holding shares
0: of uh, stock Brascom. Uh, I, I know Brascom. I think
1: you should swap out of that and go into Dow DuPont, where they are doing remarkable things. That's the better bet. Let's go to Mick in Washington. Mick. Hi, Jim. Hello. 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 You got Jim.
0: Hi, Jim. Hi, this is Mick, retired Coast Guard Warrant Officer. I'd like to get your take on ORMET Technologies, or ORA. First Thank of you all, very thanks much.
1: for what? Thanks for your time in the service. Second, that's geothermal, and I like geothermal. Ah. It's integral to the past fees of energy we have. Stock does feel like it's rolling over. I'm a believer. Anna Julia in Florida. Anna. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. I love your show. Thank you. My question is, I bought Chipotle um, at 450, and uh, then it went down. I bought more, and it keeps coming down. I well, don't know if I should sell it or if I should get, I can't wait for it. You know, look, it is still expensive, but not as much. But that last incident, that last food sanitary incident, then started the clock again. So I think people are a little skittish, and they may have trouble making their numbers. So I'm not a, I'm not a buyer. Go to Michael in Florida, please. Michael.
0: Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, About a year ago, I invested in a stock uh, called Tal Education out of China. Yes. Yes. At about $83 a share. Um, The stock has done, performed very well. Uh, Just recently split. Really hasn't been doing much. Just wondering uh, what you think of the
1: stock. Well, this is the group that everybody's been imitating all the IPOs. I've had it. there are too many of these, I would be a seller. And that, ladies and is the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Did you see last week's big auction where a single painting, one painting by Leonardo da Vinci, sold for more than $450 million, the highest price anyone's ever paid for a work of art? That's a staggering sum of money for a painting, especially when you consider all the chatter about how it might be a fake. Now, I bring up the da Vinci auction because it got me thinking. First, let me get the obvious out of the way. Good art can be a great investment, particularly in an inflationary environment. However, unless you've got hundreds of millions of dollars floating around, storing your wealth in a Renaissance masterpiece is not an option. And more important, if you think the stock market's brutal, the art market is downright sadistic. So if you did have $450 million burning a hole in your pocket, I think of better ways to put it to work than in a painting that could conceivably be a forgery. But that said, there's still a way you can try to profit from the visionary work of Da Vinci. I'm not talking about the artist. I mean his namesake, the Da Vinci Surgical Robot System, a kind of uh, robotic assistant that helps doctors perform minimally invasive surgery, a system made by intuitive surgical ISRG. I think it's safe to say that this is the Da Vinci of stocks, not just because they stole the guy's name. Just like the painting that sold last week, Intuitive Surgical's share price keeps roaring higher, more than doubling over the past few years, up over 86% since the beginning of 2017. In fact, the darn thing seems to hit a new high every other day. I probably should have included it at the top of the show. So what's been driving Intuitive Surgical higher and what makes me think you could have more room to run? First of all, for those of you who aren't familiar with this one, Intuitive Surgical is based on a brilliant idea. Suppose you need heart surgery. In the old days, the surgeon would need to crack your chest open, but with the Da Vinci system, they can get in there with a few small incisions, turning the whole thing into a minimally invasive procedure. Get right, get right out of the hospital. Everybody in the healthcare food chain loves these things—from patients to doctors to especially hospitals, which are always trying to find ways to get people out the door faster. For years, the company's been selling these machines all over the world. Now they've got a gigantic installed base, which is gigantic because Intuitive Surgical has a razor, razor blade business model. They sell consumables that need to be replaced every time a doctor uses the machine. And over time, that really starts to add up. Now, it's worth noting that I've been a fan of Intuitive Surgical on and off since way back in 2005 when Mad Bunny first came on the air. Most recently, I recommended the stock in June, and since then, it's given you a terrific 27% gain. A few years ago, it seemed like Intuitive Surgical had really run out of juice. There was little in the tank. There were only so many hospitals out there, and they only needed so many surgical robots. But then the company truly went into Leonardo da Vinci mode, innovating like crazy and rolling out a wave of new products while getting its older machines approved for various new operations in urology and gynecology. Meanwhile, over the summer, the company got FDA approval for the Da Vinci X, or Da Vinci 10, a smaller, cheaper surgical robot system that's meant to give more hospitals access to the company's incredible technology, In June, I told you all this innovation was just beginning to pay off, but given intuitive surgical subsequent performance, I wish I'd pounded the table even harder because the darn thing's been going up practically in a straight line. Since then, the company's delivered two blowout quarters in a row. On July 20th, the company reported a fabulous top and bottom line beat with a 13% revenue growth, 17% earnings growth. But more important, they sold 166 systems. Remember, these machines are super expensive. That was up from 133 systems in the previous quarter, 130 systems in the previous year. In other words, we got a big acceleration thanks to some terrific strength in the U.S. Surprisingly, the stock actually sold off 4.55% on the news, telling you $309. And that was a fabulous buying opportunity. It quickly came roaring back. Then about a month ago, Intuitive Surgical reported the third quarter results. And once again, the company knocked it out of the park. Numbers were staggering, 78-cent earnings beat. That was off a buck ninety-nine basis, much higher than expected revenue, up 18% year-over-year. The others were expecting them to sell 150 systems worldwide. They sold 169, and that's up three from the previous quarter. And the company's not just selling machinery. The number of procedures performed with Intuitive Surgical System increased by 15% year-over-year. If you wanted proof that management was keeping the, m- the momentum going, you got it, which is why the stock has been roaring ever since. Boy, this would be great for young people to buy the stock. Shortly before Intuitive Surgical delivered these amazing numbers, though, the stock had a mild sell-off because the FDA approved a new robotically-assisted surgical device from a company called Transenterics that some people saw as a competitor to the Da Vinci system. But the expert consensus here seems to be that this thing doesn't even come close to Da Vinci. Not, not like any artist comes close to Da Vinci either. Then even the CEO of Transetrix uh, came out. You know what he told us? I'm going to quote it. He said, we are not going to be competing head on with intuitive. Wow. Once again, the temporary weakness in this turned out to be a fabulous buying opportunity. Now, you may have noticed that the stock of Intuitive Surgical appears to be a whole lot lower than it used to be. But that's simply because they did something I wish a lot of companies that get with stocks that are high dollar amount would do. They split it. In this case, they split it three for one. Normally, I'm the first guy to say that stock splits mean nothing. They don't change anything about the fundamentals, the ordinary business. That said, when a high dollar amount stock splits... Sometimes it gets a boost on as lower-budget investors suddenly feel like they can afford it, which is why I always tell these executives, don't listen to the big dogs who say don't split it, and therefore increase the commission. Get this great, great shareholder base like the people who watch the show. Intuitive Surgical used to trade at well over $1,000 a share. Post-split, it's at $392. Consider that Netflix did a 7-for-1 split in 2015. It's up 95%, 92%. Apple did a 7-for-1 in 2014. Stocks up... Eighty four percent. Both of them have trounced the averages. Of course, there's some of the hottest stories of our time, but I could argue that intuitive surgical belongs in that same elite group. The one thing that scared people away from ISRG for years has been its valuation. And and you know why? I I get that it's not cheap. It sells at 41 times next year's earnings estimates. That's pretty much at the top of the range about what I'll recommend on the show. But intuitive surgical was expensive when I recommended it over the summer, too. So it's you know, look, it just tells you the same thing that I've been saying. The earnings estimates for the company are often way too low, something that was borne out again by the latest quarter. At the same time, the stock is scarcity value because it's one of the few plays on robotic assisted surgery out there. If management keeps delivering, then I think the share price can keep climbing. And yes, I still like Mazer. I know you're gonna be worried it's gone up a lot, but that is the other one that I like. Here's the bottom line. You may not be able to afford an actual painting by Da Vinci. But you can absolutely try to participate in the upside from Intuitive Surgical's brilliant Da Vinci machine. The stock has been on fire. I don't blame anyone who wants to take some profits. But the next time you get a pullback in ISRG, remember that weakness in this name has often turned out to be an excellent buying opportunity. So stick with Kramer. Some of these retailers are going up well in advance of their earnings. Lowe's Corp up very, very big. Now, they report tomorrow. Dollar Tree, they report. And you know what? I'm much more comfortable with the ones that are coming in cold than coming in hot. So look at your portfolio. If you're about to get a stock, uh, get a report, and the stock is right there going straight up, I would be a little more careful. That is not something I want to play with. That's fire. Like I said, there's always more somewhere. I promise i find it just for you. Radio right Man. Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or.